The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of The Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Holy capitulation, CNBC man. You know, it's what mama used to say. Stupid is what stupid does. And a quick check on the market wreck. All this and much more on episode number 783 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. Andrew Horowitz here and hope you are, well, I guess, weathering the storm. I mean, things things are not so good. Really, there's a lot of things that are happening that are very concerning, and I'm sure that you are wickedly pissed like I am at some of the things that are going on around the world. There are, I guess there's a real sense that there is this global coordination that's going on right now. And, you know, what everybody's been talking about is the idea that this global coordination has been all about the idea that they're going to tame inflation. They're going to get to the bottom of this, this animal that just, I don't know, somehow cropped out of nowhere. Not it was their fault. It wasn't the it wasn't the fiscal and the monetary policy that went on during the pandemic that caused any of this. And the the teachings and in, in, in lack of teachings in economics over the years. No, no, no. It wasn't any of that. No, what it was simply is just this inflation thing that just got away with us, away from us, that they didn't know what was going on and they really couldn't tell and they thought it was going to be temporary and transient and it turned out it was much more. Okay. This coordinated practice of monetary policy looking to adjust in order to beat inflation has really, it's been bewilder, bewildering at best. Gets me so frustrated and flustered. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you, it really does because it's not a coordination necessarily of central bank action. It's coordinated global stupidity at its at its height. This dumbness that has overcome many people in the area of finance who have control over all of the money is shocking. It is outright, it's, 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 I think it's close to criminal. It's really bad. You know, it harkens me back, dare I say, and I, and I hate to bring this up, to 2008, I think it was 2008, when Jim Cramer went on TV and said they know nothing. And you know what? They haven't learned. Because what's going on right now, it's not just about the stock market. Am I pissed off that they're doing this because just the stock market's coming in? Eh, stock market cycle. We know that. You have to be careful and invest properly and be diversified. All the things we've talked about, right, on this show, infinitum. We've talked about this forever. However, what the problem that I'm finding right now is this idea that there's just no sense in so much that goes on. If they're fighting a beast that 
there's no winning from. And the ability to understand and conquer this economic cycle is not going to happen like they thought it would. And here we are testing the lows again from a few months back. And just look at Friday, midday. I mean, I think there was, the numbers were like 780, no, it was like 895 new lows, five new highs on the NYSE, the New York Stock Exchange. On the NASDAQ, it was close to 1,000 new lows. And there was like six new highs. The rest of the, the highs were all inverse ETFs. And I think we need to spend a moment on, on just how bad the sell-off is because it's really, it is really bad from a velocity standpoint, from a momentum standpoint, and from an outright, as I mentioned before, wow, maybe it's a capitulatory moment. Something that I've joked around with for a long time because this idea that we get a capitulation, then it's just off to the races, back to the normal bullish market. That's not what happens. But there is a sense that when you get to the point where everybody is throwing in the baby with the bathwater, there is a psychological uh, moment that you need to reflect on. People are just done. Maybe think of it as that sellers have been washed out. Not all of them, but a good chunk of the selling has been done. Because we've not only seen selling on one or two days, this is going on for the last month. And this sell-off is no different than others that we've seen in the past. It feels different. It always feels different. This time, oh my gosh, it's different. This time, you know what? It's the mother of all sell-offs. We've had the mother of all sell-offs, by the way, twice or three times in the last 10 years. Is a 17% turn on the S&P 500, 18, 19%. On the NASDAQ, the mother of all sell-offs. I mean, I got to tell you, I've been doing this for a long time. October 87, that was harsh. That was ugly. 2008, 2020. Those sell-offs, 2008, we'll we'll, we'll scale it out to 2009 as well. But those sell-offs and then the 2020 pandemic sell-off, those were painful. If you had any equity exposure at all, that was painful. The big difference right now, and this is this is really where we all have to consider something is different, is that this sell-off compared to what happened in 1999-2000 and pick a few years in between there and in 2008-2009 and then pick a few years in between there uh, to 2011 uh, then you go and you fast forward a few years and you say 2020, 2018. Those all were met with something that was different than what we have today, for the most part. Maybe the 2018, not so much. But the other ones were all met with a very, very cooperative and loving Fed. It was a Fed that coddled the markets during those periods of time because it wasn't necessarily about just breaking the back of inflation. There may be some of it in there, but really, if you think about over the last 15 years, we've seen a declining interest rate environment. Uh, Liquidification, is that a word? Liquefying, liquidification of financial markets through quantitative easing. Uh, back and forth a few times, of course. But nonetheless, there was still a very cooperative Fed. And what we have right now is a very uncooperative Fed. What we have right now is an uncooperative global 
central bank policy, generally speaking, put aside maybe China, put aside some Asian countries, definitely put aside Turkey, who, by the way, has an 80% inflation rate year over year and just decided this week to drop their interest rates once again. <laughs> That's fascinating. That's, again, more stupidity on a different level. So this sell-off has been bad. And while we look at the new highs and lows and we think about the concept of, hey, are we at a point that there's been a washout? I don't know if we can really say that one day or another is the point because we are used to this idea of buying the dips, buying the severe dips. And when things get really bad, when you see that point where that final flush comes in, that's the day that you move into something. I'm not quite sure. But I can tell you this. There's something interesting that has happened. And I find that this situation is something that we need to pay attention to because it doesn't happen that often. And what am I talking about is an indicator that I built a number of years ago. It was a culmination of various psychological as well as market um, references looking at Things like a put-call ratio, for example. You know, where are people's heads in terms of how much downside do they expect? Looking at confidence numbers. There's a variety of things we look at when we think about the, the, the psychological side of the markets. And when we look at the psychological side of the markets, we have to recognize something. People do dumb things. People don't want to buy when things are low, and they want to buy when things are high. They don't want to enter into the market when there is a sell-off and prices come down, but they do when prices are ridiculously high. The largest inflows we saw to things like Bitcoin, Ethereum, and crypto was when? When they were going gangbusters. I remember very distinctly. They were going gangbusters, and the talk around the Thanksgiving table was all about, wow, have you seen that Bitcoin, Ethereum, that Dogecoin, and all the... And everybody got excited that year during Thanksgiving, and it blew up in a good way, up, not down, blew up during Christmas as everybody got their gifts and bought. Yet when it's down as it is, people are like, no, 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 no. I don't want any of that. It's the only place that people don't buy when things are on sale. It's amazing psychological reference point to understanding markets because what's happening is people become scared and rightfully so because your money is such an important item when it comes to your life. I get it. However, what we're looking at right now is classical backward psychological reasoning. Now, the key reversal indicator that I built goes from a negative seven to a positive seven. Why seven? I don't know. That's what we built it as. Could have been any number. Doesn't really matter if it's more or less. Like if we pushed it to a 10, it's still a culmination of information that provides for a, a relative number. So you want to call it 100% to the negative side, 100% pinned down is a seven, whereas zero is a neutral territory and a positive three is 50% bullish. Okay, whatever you want to call it. We use negative seven to a positive seven. Negative seven means that markets are grossly oversold. Listen, wake up, watch for this. Something is possibly going to happen in a very short period of time. It may only be a reference to the dip and people are buying because they find it overly cheap. And it may then continue back down to the downside. Or it could be that turning point that we're all looking for that may resolve itself back to a flush to the lows 
um, and then you know spitting out all the sellers in a way that is very important. Oftentimes we see that the negative side is bought much faster than the positive side is sold. So if in theory, if we're looking at a key reversal indicator and we consider a plus seven, if I only think I've seen that once, but a plus seven, is that going to be a time to short the hell out of the markets? The answer is not so fast. The problem you have is that most people are geared to buying stocks, not necessarily selling or shorting. The mechanics, we had a whole podcast episode on the mechanics of the markets are such that no matter what happens, money is going into the markets faster than usually it comes out. How is that possible? What the hell am I talking about? I want you to remember and focus in on one thing and one thing only, and that is pension plans, profit sharing plans, 401k plans, IRA contributions. And you may say, what about the people that take the money out? Well, yeah, that's there too. But there are more people putting money in trying to shield. And on a regular basis, when someone gets paid every single week, what happens with their paycheck? Think about it. Think about looking at your paycheck. What do you got? Well, I got tax taken out. I got health insurance on my side. I got this. I got, oh, yeah. I got my contribution to my 401k plan. Oh, yeah. You know what else I got? I got the company's contribution to the 401k plan. So I got two contributions going on every single time I get paid. That money is finding its way directly into the markets. The mechanics of the markets show us this. So buying is happening on a regular basis. Right now, there are some blackout periods going on right now. We are pre-earnings season in a black. I think we're right. I think we're right in the blackout period, or right at near the blackout period. And then on top of it, we're in a seasonally rough time for markets, on top of all the stupidity that's being done on a coordinated basis around the world. See, that all, all fits together, but it's all wrapped into the wrapper and in a nice, neat package into the stupidity factors that are going on. That's really what's happening right now. But here we are with a key reversal indicator at a negative seven. And let me tell you what that means. Markets are extremely oversold. This is Friday, the final um, levels that we saw. And it was moving into that from a negative four to negative five. It doesn't have to progress that way. It could be just a quick move. But it pinned down on Friday at negative seven. And I tweeted about that, by the way. You can follow me at Andrew Horowitz. The, uh, the definition of what does that mean? So the overall market as measured by the KRI algorithm is significantly oversold. This generally indicates that a short-term reversal of the trend, so the trend down, downtrend, is imminent as the market has been sold at an irrational pace. And look for the markets to attract buyers within a day or two, maybe before testing the limits of the downside once again. And also consider taking profits on short positions. That's how this works. So what do we do with that? Well, I can tell you that every time I've seen it down at the negative five, negative six, negative seven, negative seven is the, it's only the second time since December 22nd, 2018. It's the first time since then. 2018, we're talking about four, you know, almost four years that that has happened the last. Now, I've seen a few negative sixes. I will tell you that every time it happens, I say, oh, man, that's ugly. 
Why would anybody want to buy into something like that? But what ends up happening is that somehow magically, and we'll see, I'm not making any recommendations, predictions, nor am I providing you for any um, suggestions on what to do here. And please do not do anything with this information that I'm giving you. Don't. Just don't do it. Just let's let's track it. Let's see what happens. So here we are. Uh, we'll timestamp this on the 25th. My son's birthday today, by the way. Sunday. And it is, uh, as we call it, Erev Rosh Hashanah. The evening of uh, the day before Rosh Hashanah, which we got to think about. Are we going to sell Rosh Hashanah and buy Yom Kippur, which is the the way things are usually said, right? That, that's how it goes. You sell Rosh Hashanah somehow. I don't know why. Seasonal, a seasonal pattern that develops. You sell Rosh Hashanah and you buy Yom Kippur. Huh. I don't know. Seems to work sometimes. Sounds, sounds cool, right? Santa Claus rally. Uh, but here we are, time stamping that uh, on the week ending the 23rd, so here we are the week that closed the 23rd, is this going to be a KRI that resolves and we do see a capitulatory moment that resolves to a bounce that brings us a little bit more reality, that gives a better feeling of where we are, and then we can decide what happens from here. I would like to see that um, because uh, it seems that uh, people are getting pretty disgusted at this point, and obviously that's why we're seeing this. Fortunately, we have been blending up a pretty well-diversified portfolio of our clients. Our TDI Managed Growth Strategy, which I want to talk to you about, actually, um, has a lot of cash positioning. I added some um, some Q exposure, the NASDAQ exposure, when the KRI hit a negative six. Added a, just a, a smidge, I mean, just a small helping of it. On top of that, we'll see how that goes for a couple of days. And if it doesn't play out, we will cut the loss on that. Uh, but still not really doing much at this point because it was entered into uh, late last week. But what I want to talk to you about is um, something that we do every day or every couple of days is we write to our clients in the Discipline Investor Managed Growth Strategy. A lot of people are like, well, how do you communicate with your clients? What do you do? Well, besides the podcast that we do every week, because you know where we stand. I talk to you about what's happening with markets. I give you my impression of what's happening. If you are not clear that I'm aggravated with the stupidity factor about central bankers around the world, uh, you haven't been listening, right? We talk about that a lot. We talk about where we think market adjustments are going to happen and what we think about and how we get to diversified portfolio solutions for you for your benefit long-term, right? We don't give you, I'm not talking about any specific individual names right here. Sometimes we do, but generally speaking, I try to bring you guests that give you insights. As a matter of fact, I got a great email last week, somebody talking about the Peter Schiff interview and saying, what is going on? The Disciplined Investor Podcast needs to get more disciplined with his guest choices. <laughs> This guy is terrible, blah, 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 going on and on. You know what? I disagree. This false information that he provided and all this and inaccuracies was horrible. How would you have him on? I got to tell you something. It's funny. But I got several emails that extolled the wisdom that he was providing. Fascinating way to think about how people look at things that there are two or more sides to every discussion. But we bring on guests that we don't necessarily agree with. I do not agree with a lot that Peter Schiff says. 
I'll tell you right now. In fact, if you look at the price of gold and silver, not holding up at all well, considering the fact that we are in difficult times that are concerning from a political environment, from a global environment, from a, a wartime environment, from a, a inflationary environment, you name it, gold and silver not holding up so well. Are they better or worse? It's not the point. They're not holding up so well. But what I want to do is I want to talk to you about what we write. Give you a flavor of what I talked about last week. So I clipped all the different, just quick uh, paragraphs or so from last week's commentary that we put out to all of our clients that are in the TDI managed growth strategy, because that's more of a trading strategy or at least a more um, uh, uh, you know, individual stock equity focused, moves a lot more with the markets than our other portfolios, which are much more diversified. But let's go through that and let's start out with Monday of last week. So that's the 19th. And let's talk about Exactly. I'm going to read for you what I said. Market participants are having a hard time staying with positions. Now that there is a very different feeling in quotes about the trajectory for rates, lots of people are scrambling. But what if? What if the notion that a 1% hike is being priced into the market doesn't happen? How does that look post-Wednesday, post the rate decision? It would seem that there's a similar feel, quote, right now to what we saw last rate hike where there was too much optimism pricing market participants and traders and short-term investors have, have been getting offside a lot these days. And it would not be a surprise if shorts are going to get squeezed hard after the announcement in a relief rally, assuming that the increase is only 0.75%. Today we closed a position in the biotech ETF for loss slightly as it moved below our support level. Uh, the announcement from President Biden that the pandemic is now over drove the sector down and also may, many other key pandemic plays. Who knows? Or it should be who, WHO, World Health Organization, knows if the pandemic is over or not. I went in on that day also talking about a little bit, um, and, and, I, and I, I, the, I surmised that we would have a very volatile discussion about what was going on with markets, which we did. There was a squeeze just before and during the, just before the announcement, there was a squeeze after the announcement when Powell was speaking. So uh, that that was Monday. Now, now the next day, uh, actually, this was on, um, I think we, this is Wednesday, September 21st, I said. Forget the Fed for a second. While they're scheduled to deliver the rate hike news at 2 p.m. today, there is far more pressing business this morning. Overnight, Putin pushed to the conflict mode a little closer to war, activating more troops and putting up rhetoric about the West is concerning, of course. Still, all this is overshadowed for the time being by the Fed decision today, or, or perhaps the Fed will take that into consideration. As we have discussed, something has got to give. We cannot continue to have headwinds and rate increases. That makes no sense. The odds are in favor for a bounce here, but that is only if the Fed does not do anything stupid. And we know, by the way, and that point in those paragraphs from Wednesday, we know what happened. The Fed raised 0.75 as expectations were, and then did they do something stupid? Yeah, kind of. They 
kept their foot firmly on the pedal or on the brake maybe, whichever the case may be, in a way that they were going to... You know what it reminded me of? Do you remember when the Fed, the same Fed said, hey, we have no intention. We're not thinking about thinking about thinking about. Remember that whole thing? Uh, hey, rates are going to be down for a long time, long, long time. They would use these kinds of imagery and ways of discussing things, making it seem like it was going to last forever, that we we're going to be in a low interest rate environment where the Fed was going to be providing liquidity forever and ever and ever and ever. That was the, the way they presented all of this to us. What happened? Well, what happened was that they decided that, you know, Maybe we should continue that kind of imagery, that rhetoric, that style when we start increasing rates. And that's what they did. And that's what they're doing. So did they do something stupid as I had thought they could possibly do and wreck markets? Yes. Now, let me just pause for a second. Fast forward to what happened on Friday. That was still a remnant and continuation of what happened on Wednesday and Thursday. However, the justification about the market drop on Friday was really, I think, all about what went on in um, in England and uh, the boneheaded move that that of uh, the Bank of England uh, uh, and the government, but the government primarily, the newly elective and newly pushed in. Uh, now, now you wish for Johnson back, right? I mean, you ever think about that? Oh, if I could only get Boris Johnson back at this point. Well, no. Now what they do is they go in and they aggressively start cutting taxes. They start pushing out more bonds, more financing, more debt. And everybody's like, what are you talking about? To a point that it is possible that that country will lose their stellar rating and be dropped by the S&P. What I mean by dropped is their sovereign rate debting, debt rating. The sovereign rate no, the sovereign debt rating, you got to put those in the right order. Sovereign debt rating, it could be dropped. And that would be a real problem. You, you don't want to have that as a country. You know, interest rates go up and all sorts of problems. And that is why, by the way, even with the stimulus and what they did, they saw a major spike in their rates. That's where their dollar, or the, the pound for that matter, dropped off a cliff. I mean, just, you know, I, I think decades and decades low for the pound. And how disappointing is that? After all this time, of them having a relatively, put that in perspective and utilize that word very carefully, relatively solid standing in the in the economic community about their ability to be, well, British and to withstand the outside pressures and to do the right thing and be fiscally responsible. That is all blown up, boom, gone in a matter of seconds. And that's why markets freaked out again on Friday. Not to mention the, the, the headwind of what happened on uh, in earlier the week when the conflict now becomes a lot more problematic as Putin is calling up, essentially creating a draft, right? You know, calling up 300,000 people. That's why there's a big exodus going on in, 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 um, in Russia. So now here we are when we have all this going on on top of a red inc Fed increase. By the way, I'm telling you, you've heard me say this before. I don't recall. Tell me if I'm wrong. I don't recall a time in history when the Fed would be aggressively raising rates when we're in you know, semi wartime footing. In fact, my recollection is that when the Fed is, is seeing a war and he's seeing a uh, global conflict, especially a major geopolitical issue, what they do is they start thinking about loosening the purse strings a little bit. That is not the case here. 
Interesting. Interesting change of dynamic right there. So now we go to Thursday. And on Thursday, the 22nd of, of September, I hope you're enjoying this. I hope this isn't too terribly boring. I, I thought, I've never done this before. I've never really provided a conversation about what we actually do, how we how we communicate. And I just thought it'd be interesting to do a, because it really is a reflection of the week, right? To look back at what happened. And I thought it would be something that you'd find of interest. So I hope so. I hope so. Uh, September 22nd, which was Thursday. Uh, I started out and I said, we're now entering some interesting territory. As the Fed chief spoke yesterday, the market gyrations were pretty wild. From red to green in minutes and then back again. The 0.75% rate hike was expected. The problem seemed to be the delivery of the future path. But here is the deal. The Fed needs to keep up the facade at all costs. If they don't market, if they don't, markets and consumers may think that they're bluffing. And that will not help their efforts to rein in inflation, even though it appears that inflation is already starting to peak and stall. Yesterday, we stated the odds are in favor for a bounce here, but that is only if, capital if, the Fed does not do anything stupid. They did something that was expected and something, again, that was pretty harsh. The fact is that the yield curve is wacky. Pretty much a full inversion is not helping things either. And I posted a chart that we put together about the yield curve that I will put on the show notes for episode 783 over on the disciplinedinvestor.com. Um, I continued, I said, moreover, the spread between the two-year treasury and the 10-year treasury is in the red zone. Again, you have to look at this chart. Uh, this is generally looked at as a precursor to a recession, which is pretty much, which we pretty much know that we are already starting to experience. And there's a chart, again, that I'll have on the show notes. I'll put that up there as well. What we need to remember is that the economy and stocks are not necessarily connected. Well, they are, but not always synced or synchronized. Just think about the past when economic numbers were at the worst levels. That is often turning points for stocks. Right now, there is a tremendous amount of bearishness. The AIII data shows that there's a very heavy tilt towards the bearish side fact, and I quoted uh, from briefing.com, bears jumped to 60.9%. Uh, highest level since, wait for this, by the way, highest level of bear uh, exposure since March of 2009. That um, record on that they have for the highest level of bearishness was 70.07. Uh, so we're a little bit further away from that. But here's an interesting thing here. There, there have only been Three years that the data has reached over 60%. 1990, 2008, and 2009. And here we are in 2022. We have a reading once again of the AAII, the American Association of, of uh, uh, Independent Investors or whatever whatever that is. Uh, but that's, you know, uh, what is that one? I think it's Independent Investors. Anyway, uh, the point is that, that we are now able to put that in the record books. It's another year, another time, another point in time that we have bearish indications. Oftentimes it's contrarian, but I said, I continue on. I said, add to that a few uh, internal proprietary indicators that show severe oversold conditions. And there is the potential for a bounce in the not so distant future. Where that leads to is another story altogether. For now, we had a small startup position in the NASDAQ 100, in ETF, by the way, uh, to see if we can uh, ride out an oversold bounce. Okay, so that was Thursday. Remember, things were pretty bad. Adding a little positioning from uh, the higher 
level of cash. We had about 18% cash before that. Had a little positioning into the uh, NASDAQ because the NASDAQ looked very oversold like the rest of the markets. And here comes Friday. Here comes Friday. Yeah, it looks like, okay, maybe things are happening overnight. Not such a big deal. And overnight, you look at the markets like, oh, boy, look at that. You start looking at that early in the morning and thinking, oh, that is just God awful, whatever's going on there. It's terrible. I mean, what, what's happening? You know, where are things going? Why are things going? So here we are on Friday, and I write, if we're looking for capitulation, it seems that we may have it today or as close as hand. If we were looking at the key reversal indicator pinned at negative seven, by the way, the lowest since 1224 um, uh, Christmas Eve 2018. And wondering if there is a turning point ahead, it seems that there is some serious hysteria right now. The McClellan Oscillator is the lowest since, well, years and years. The Spearman Indicator is the lowest since January 2020, and that was low back then. Oil is falling. U.S. yields are somewhat stable for some of the curve after a quick move up overnight. The problem here is that there is too much push to shut down inflation. Using a sledgehammer to tap in a nail is overkill. The same is true with the unwavering resolve of the Fed right now. They really need to chill for a moment or risk going to a fast and pushing too fast and pushing the economy too far. It is one thing to consider coordinated monetary policy. It is quite another to push forward with coordinated stupidity. Ah, ring a bell. That is what we are watching unfold right now. It looks like a bunch of monkeys putting together policy for billions of people in a game simulation. It feels like this is all a test of how far the economy can be pushed, how far we could stretch that rubber band. That's not providing confidence. Not providing confidence. But then there is also knowledge that over history, good companies end up coming out of this stronger and wiser. It is with that understanding that we have created the quant process and rules-based investment approach that we're utilizing for our portfolio. Um, I had some other things I wrote too. So basically, this is just the the uh, the, the highlights um, from that week. Uh, and again, just keeping our, our well, it does two things. Uh, first of all, allows me some time to, to each day to reflect on what's going on directionally and individually, what's happening with some positions which we put in other areas of the discussion, uh, specific economics as well. These are these are the these are the culmination headlines of really what is the important items that I have top of mind to discuss right then and right there. And there's a theme you could see, and this theme is not a not not it's not brand new. It's about what is happening with monetary policy, what is happening around the world with uh, headwinds and how does that implicate um, or how does that impact, that's a better word, impact what we're doing and what we see. The problem is that there is a discrepancy. Earnings have been decent for the most part. There's some, some problems around it. Multiples have come down dramatically. We have earnings and we have multiples, which means PE ratios. So P.E. ratios come down, multiples have come down, earnings may need to come down more. Earnings will come down more if we keep on trying to crush the environment. There's so much you could beat a person until eventually they're unconscious. I mean, that's the, that's the truth. They're beating the markets, they're beating the economy unconscious. And that situation 
is a problem. And it's almost like a fighter that's out of control. Where a referee is trying to break it up, but the referee gets his nose broken in the process. The fighter won't stop even after the opponent, opponent is half dead. This is a reckless fed. There's no question about that. By the way, this is not what I wrote. This is now back to Podcastville. <laughs> uh, it's a reckless fed that is not thinking clearly, that has drank their own juju juice in which they believe that they are the destiny. They are the, the alpha and the, the, the beta. They are the you know end-all, be-alls of what happens in the world's Markets, as opposed to, you know what? Regulate, don't push. It's enough already. Creating money out of nowhere, then evaporating it into nowhere is insane. Now you may say, well, that's why I love Bitcoin. You may be saying that, not me. That's why I love uh, cryptocurrencies. Uh, really? How well are those doing in this environment and what's going on there? You would think that gold and silver various other precious metals and cryptocurrencies should be able to withstand as people like the hell with this. They're crushing their currency. They're doing this and that. They're buying in. They're selling out. They're, they're, they're making rules that don't exist. You would think that the alternative currency market should be on fire right now. The alternative asset, which we own some, is doing well. But the alternative currency or cryptocurrency for that matter and the safe havens should be really doing really wow like yeah i should be throwing all my money in there but how are they doing it's awful not meant for prime time is this what happens when people don't understand finance get involved in finance this is when the the pushers of the 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 the, the, the spack barkers like chamath and his group and Michael Saylor, they, when they get involved in this nonsense, even Pomp doesn't have the laser eyes anymore. You know, Anthony Pompliano, he doesn't have this, the, the laser eyes on him either anymore. Doesn't even talk about cryptocurrencies anymore on Twitter. It's all he yabbered about forever. You know what that goes, right? You know what that means, right? It's a big freaking act is all it is, a pump and dump. That's what it is. Let's go back to basics for a second here. Companies that earn money, high dividend paying, exploration, health breakthroughs, technology, distribution, travel delivery, food and integrations. You know, think about all the things that we need in life. Some things are discretionary. Some things are not. Some things we, we use more of, some less. Even when it's things that we have to have. Fact of the matter is, though, that we can put our hands and, and arms and spreadsheets around these things and come up with good information, understanding. And, and on top of it, um, you know, that is something that is comforting in times like this, that we have companies that are real, that make money. You may say, well, what's the difference if you have a company that does really well, that makes a lot of money, Facebook, Meta, that's down 75, 80%. We don't own them, but if we did, right? You know, if we have that as a choice in our portfolio that we're holding for TDIMG, no. But if we did, 
What's the difference between a company like that that earns all sorts of money, by the way, and is down to multi, multi-year lows to a company that doesn't make any money that has lost just as much of its value? Who cares if I have a company that is mediocre and isn't making money right now, it's down 75%, or a company that does really well and has great management that earns money that's down 75%, 75% is 75%. I mean, right? Isn't that the fact? So when we look at the overall situation with regard to how we are viewing things, obviously there are a lot of different glasses that we could put on and what we want to view as important. But when it comes to investing, there will be cycles. There are going to be times that things are good, times that things are bad. Things are bad right now, even though the backdrop of many of the earnings and economics are not so awful. The problem is the better we stay, the more concern becomes that the Fed is going to crush what we're doing. The fact is that, you know, there's a lot of things out there that people are really nervous about. Some are reasonable, some not so. Uh, but where we are right now is in a concerning time, a time when you do have to hunker down make some very hard decisions. And uh, some of those decisions should probably be to continue doing what you know. Now, you've heard the phrase, well, you got to stay the course. I'm not saying that. You know, if you, can't take the, if you can't take the heat, get out of the fire. That's the bottom line there, right? But there's going to be, over your lifetime, a lot of heat. A lot of blast furnaces that you're going to have to walk through. A lot of times that you're going to be involved in a situation where there's a substantial amount of pain in a, in a market condition. And recognize that sometimes those are opportunistic. And sometimes, uh, you know, what we're looking at right there is just a room that you need to get through eventually. Think of it like uh, walking on coals and the experiences some people get out of that and the, the, the life benefit and the enlightenment that they get. A little crazy, a little creepy, but I'm saying, you know, think of what you have to do to understand that it's a long-term game. We see it day by day, minute by minute. It's ugly in its, in, in, its, in its own way. Sometimes it's beautiful. So there you have it. Uh, we're talking about uh, being beaten unconscious today. We're talking about uh, unrestrained stupidity, or what did I call it? Coordinated stupidity. Maybe it's coordinated unrestrained stupidity. And uh, the truth of the matter is that, uh, you know, what we are looking at right now is a really ugly circumstance. We've been here before. We'll recover from this. It may take time. It will take time. But it needs to be done right. That's the bottom line. So with that, we're going to end this week with a with a nice little um, discussion there of what we showed uh, about what we write to our clients each and every week. Um, make sure to go to disciplineinvestor.com and, of course, see the, the charts that I put up there for this week. And uh, make sure to subscribe, of course, to the podcast as well. Thank you for joining me this week and every week. Be safe, be secure. I'll see you again. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, 
or tax advice or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training.